0: ride at dawn. We ride at dawn to Boston. We're shipping off. Fan boarding show. break. Gunning, Justin Cuthbert here. uh, Busy. 7.30 hour coming up for 7.30. We're going to talk to Atiba Hutchinson at 8 o'clock. EJ Raddick going to join us. And at 8.30, this will be a fun one. Former Blue Jays general manager, current special advisor for the San Francisco Giants, J.P. Ricciardi. Going to join us now, but very, very happy to be joined by our first guest of the day. Maddie Marchese, fill-in host and current producer, always producer, Jeff Merrick Show, Sportsnet Five Nine to the Fan. Maddie, how's it going, bud?
1: I'm good. I don't know about the riding at dawn thing. It's yes. still a little too early no. for that. But you're I mean, up. you're a parent. Well, I know. God, I'm up. Yes, I'm up.
0: Okay, so, so <laughs> okay. let's just start. Let, let's start. We'll get Leafs in a second. God, I'm up. Yeah, God, I'm up. Uh, <laughs> boy, I know that feeling. Uh, been up since 2 o'clock because Buddy didn't want to quiet down. So uh, I'm feeling your pain, Maddie. In terms of... Uh, NHL awards, I think most of the pain, uh, well, comedy aside, uh, centered around the one lone vote that didn't go to Connor McDavid uh, getting a fifth-place vote instead of the other 195 votes that went to him for first place. Is this completely ridiculous, or can you spin this into that being a correct vote for somebody not voting McDavid second, not third, not
1: fourth, but fifth, Maddie? No, this is a person that doesn't like fun. Um, This is the person that decided that Derek Jeter, like this is the person that says, oh, nobody should be unanimous for anything. And we're pretty positive that whoever voted for um, Connor McDavid fifth was the same person that voted David Pasternak first. That is is easy math. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there's that one. I think somebody didn't have Patrice Bergeron on their Selkie ballot at all like completely omitted Patrice Bergeron from their Selkie ballot. I don't know if they forgot that he played this year. I'm really not sure. I'm trying to think of the logic behind not voting for Connor McDavid. Like, what exactly did he need to do to get that vote from you, whoever did it? And whoever did it should show themselves. Because if you don't, you are a coward. Um, But at this point, the guy had, what, 153 points. He won the scoring title by, I think, 28 points. Um, or 25 points, one of the two. He had over 60 goals. He had over 90. Like, we're we're talking about one of, I think, six players in NHL history to have 150 points, and I think the last time that somebody did that was in the early 90s. I want to say it was 92 or 93. So I'm not sure what Connor McDavid needed to do. This person, or this person was having a bad day, or they're just from Boston, because that that's also a thing. So... Yeah, no, there's no explanation for this. I can't spin this anyway, and it should never have happened. There's no question about that. Actually, I I tweeted about it last night, and then Stewie pointed at David Amber, to which David Amber said, no, 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 it wasn't me. Connor should have been unanimous. I swear it wasn't me. Yeah, so, like, no, there's no
0: explanation. We we love Dave, but let's be honest. Uh, he does not want that smoke. He does not want the whole of the NHL <laughs> mad at him. Most people don't. Uh, but Amber, such like a well liked guy, no chance he and, wants and that. And the first place vote, Canada. To,
2: yeah, the first place vote might have went to Alex Ovechkin in that case, not to to, to David Paschenek. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think like one of the. It feels like it's petty because you know he didn't put him number or he or she didn't put Connor McDavid number two or number three or number four. It went number five. And I like, I get it. If you've been watching David Paschenk all year and you believe so wholeheartedly, although you are so biased, but you are so, uh, you're strong in your conviction that he was the most valuable player in the league. Like you can't put McDavid five, you put him two or maybe even three, if you want to argue someone else, but putting him five, I mean, it's just, it's, it's meant to be a slight rather than like an accurate depiction of how things actually, uh, went at least that's how I see it.
1: Yeah, and, and I agree with that. Like, there's no my my thing was always like, first of all, again, it's somebody from Boston. I got I got a tweet that was probably Jack Edwards, which is really funny. Um, but no, the, David Pasternak had a great year. There's no question about that. David Pasternak was fantastic. I if I'm being honest, I would have had Matthew Kachuk over David Pasternak anyway, right? Like yeah, that that's how sure. I would that's how I would put it. But if it was like, I can't even fathom, like, looking at the, if I'm looking at the ballot and I'm going, oh, oh, Connor McDavid's on us. Okay, of course, of course. Okay, so he's got to be one. And then everybody else, it doesn't matter where they finish, because it's not remotely close. Like, in any other year, like, if Connor McDavid wins the scoring title by 10 points, then then I can see the argument. But because he won it by such a large margin, and I know it's not only about points, because Connor McDavid did a lot of other things really well this year. Like his, his improved defensive play was something that I think a lot of people noticed, but to say that, you know, David Pasternak was worth a, a first place. Well, sure. But yeah, to put Connor McDavid fifth, he's the, whoever did this is trolling now. Now they're just like, yeah, I, I'm going to be, you know what it is? I'm going to be the funny one in the room. That's what I'm going to be. And it turns out you're just an idiot, not funny.
0: So I think if it's trolling, it's actually so much funnier if it comes from Calgary than if it comes from Boston. If they're just like, ah, I just picked a guy, uh, but not you, Connor. If it's strictly a troll job, I think that is uh, maybe maybe the funniest one uh, to, to come out of it. You know, in terms of the the awards that there were some debate, it feels to me like the biggest one was the the North obviously Carlson puts up the offensive numbers. I do even somebody like me to a certain extent shrugs and says, yeah, okay, I guess you do got to give it to him, but I don't know. There's just something about an award being given to a defenseman who it was never going to give up how many good goals, his, or it was never going to matter how many goals his team conceded because it didn't matter how many games they, they won. Where do you fall on the, the Norris debate there? Cause it does feel a little unfair to knock Carlson for playing on a bad team. But when you're a defenseman, you know, the, the goals given up should should matter against you I think to a certain extent where do you fall on it
1: yeah it should matter um and I watched enough of Eric Carlson last year to see a couple of plays where he just completely bailed and I looked at it and went wow that's that doesn't look like a Norse trophy defenseman but the the issue the issue is this the award has just almost solely become who has the most points for a defenseman which if that's what you want it to be then make a trophy for it because there are really good defensive... You know what, Maddie? Maddie, Maddie let me there. let
0: me jump in on this. So we sure. we we ju- we debate this all the time. This has been a thing we've all had the conversation of. Ah, oh, should they have two awards? So I was just looking at the description for the Mark Messier Leadership Award. Okay, and it is it, now Mark Messier consults a panel and people across the league he respects, but the decision is his and his to make alone. If we're going to have a Bobby Orr Award and he's still alive, (laughs) why don't we just let him pick the guy who he thinks plays the the position in the best way? And then all the voters can have the Norris. It stays the Norris. We get to have a Bobby Orr Award. We have an award for Marc Messier, who is basically just like, who do I respect
1: the most? Why can't
0: we do the same for Bobby Orr? And then we never have to have this conversation again.
1: Well, I think to to have someone voting on an award that, especially for a leadership award, where they're not actually in the room and stuff like that, <laughs> I think that's a little bit funny. Um, but no, I it should be I, literal flies that, on the wall
0: voting for the Mark Meshe Leadership Award.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but my thing is, is if you want to have like, even if you call it the Bobby Orr Award and you just give it to the highest scoring defenseman, that's fine. Just do that. Like, it, it's it's not a problem. But to have, you know. Like a guy like uh, Jacob Slavin's a really really good defenseman. He's never going to win the Norris Trophy unless he puts up sixty five points. And guess what? He's never putting up sixty five points. It's just not happening. So he does get Norris votes, but he's never going to get that sort of recognition. I think. I think as as analytics becomes bigger and bigger, I think you're going to have more guys in the conversation is it going to change completely? Like the last guy that won the Norris trophy that wasn't any sort of a an offensive juggernaut or, or a really good offensive player was probably Rod Langway. And I, I bet you he had like 30 points or something when he won it. But since then, it's been, you know, you've had your Paul Coffees, you've had Eric Carlson, and you've had, you know, Victor Hedman. And it's not like these guys are not, they're not good defensively, but they're not the best defensively at the position. And I think, you know, when we have like even when we look at the Selkie Trophy, the Selkie Trophy a lot of the time is not necessarily for the best defensive forward, but the best defensive po- forward who also has offensive ability. So that's also changed, too. And and I get it because offense is fun. And that's what sells tickets like nobody. Nobody likes two one games anymore. Those are not fun anymore. But if we're voting on the actual play at hand and talking about the total package, then I think the conversation needs to shift a little bit. And if it means let's have a trophy for the the highest scoring offensive defenseman, then great, that's fine. I got no problem with that. Eric Carlson put up 100 points. Like, that's pretty good. Um, But was he the best defensively? No. Was he the best all round, including defense and offense? I still would make an argument that he's probably not. I would probably give that to Kale McCarr. Yeah, I mean, the reality
2: that you lay out, I mean, we we were hit over the head with it this year, for sure, because Eric Carlson, despite, you know, there's definite flaws, there's definite reason to overlook the historic pace that he was at, at least offensively, uh, they didn't. And it was pretty overwhelming in the end, uh, Eric Carlson winning the Norris Trophy. And, you know, he's already probably solidified it. But uh, you win that many Norris Trophies, you go to the Hall of Fame. Okay, we're talking to Matty Marchese, host of the Jeff Merrick Show this week, as Merrick uh, enjoys Nashville, the sights and the sounds. I'm going to give you the benefit of hindsight here, Maddie. Look at the NHL awards and change the result of one when lumping in postseason play, when lumping in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Who didn't deserve the award that they won? I guess the contenders, maybe the Jack Adams, Jim Montgomery, maybe the Vesna, Linus Ulmark, both the both those two crashing out in seven games in the first round. Is there a winner last night based on the results of the postseason where you're like, yeah, we could have changed that. Oh
1: boy. Um, you, I, I guess you could make an argument. Well, the Jim Montgomery thing. Sure. Um, and I would, I would then give it to Dave Haxtell. So that would, that would probably be the one that stands out the most. I mean, you can make an argument for Lindy rough because both the devils and the, uh, the Kraken were not great last year, but the Kraken were just so much worse. um, I mean you could make an you could make an argument and I'm gonna sound like the person that voted for David Pasternak first, but I think you could make an argument for Matthew Kachuk as the heart and not Connor McDavid. That's the and it's a slight argument because Connor McDavid was still really good in the playoffs. But I think it's the Jack Adams, and I think I would give it to Dave Haxtell. I, I said I had this conversation with Jeff back in January. I'm pretty sure it was January, where I said, like, we need to we need to really consider Dave Haxtell for the Jack Adams trophy. And at that point, Boston had just been running away with, with the division, with the conference, with the league. So we kind of had a feeling it was going to be Jim Montgomery anyway, but the work that Dave Haxtall did with that Kraken team to not only have the regular season that they did. And I think it was a 40 point difference from the year before they don't have a star at any position. I think Vince Dunn is a really good defenseman. I think he might end up being a star, but he's not, in that class yet. He's not in that tier yet. They certainly don't have a star up front, although Matty Beneers may end up getting there, and he won the Calder Trophy. Um, they beat the Colorado Avalanche in the first round, the defending Stanley Cup champions. Albeit they were beat up, but it doesn't matter. Um, I don't think anybody, I think one person from Sportsnet said that Seattle was going to beat Colorado, and it was Sam Cosentino, and he said it in seven. So I just look at, at what he did with that group, And say that to me is a Jack Adams worthy performance because it's really hard to win in this league without stars. It's really hard to have playoff success without stars. And they went to they beat Colorado and they took Dallas to seven games. I think that Dave Haxtell was absolutely. If we were to change the the way that it is voted on, I think Dave Haxtell would have been uh, the Jack Adams Trophy winner.
0: Yeah, I think with the Jack Adams, it is probably the award that in any given season, you can find three to four kind of compelling slash deserving winners. It does feel that way. And the only reason I'm pushing back is because you would have been stealing money out of me and Justin's pockets if you uh, took away the Jack Adams from Jim Montgomery. Because we both nailed that a long, long time ago. I would go all mark. You know, you're, you're the Vesna winner. And you, I know some of it is maybe he was a little banged up. You can't get the net in game seven. That's a pretty damning indication. Now, maybe that's Jim Montgomery's fault and I see where you're going there. Uh, but yeah, I, I look at that and that's the one I, I would go to. Uh, in terms of Leafs, you know, we got a hopefully not, but maybe quiet night tonight before the draft tomorrow. Uh, what do we think in terms of how busy this team is going to be? You know, obviously it's a it's a new regime to a certain extent with Living in here. He's not going to be able to operate at the draft. So I guess we probably should expect if they are going to have any business done, it gets taken care of today. Uh, what are we thinking on Living and the Leafs, Matty?
1: I think he's, much like everybody else, he's very active, right? And I think that, oh, man, the phones, I, I'd imagine the phones are just going crazy across the league. Like I, I said it on the show yesterday, I'm praying for chaos. Um, what Elliot Freeman said on our show yesterday is they're still trying to lock up some of their own free agents. So Luke Shen, Brian O'Reilly, Noel Achari, those guys are the three at the top of the list. It sounds like Luke Shen is probably not coming back. I would anticipate that then neither is Ryan O'Reilly unless they're moving William Nylander. Um, the other one, Noel Achari, I just, I think Noel Achari priced himself out of Toronto. So of those three, I think the most likely to come back is probably O'Reilly, but even then I'm still very skeptical. Um, I think that they're working the phones for a defenseman. I really do believe that because what we saw in the playoffs was, listen, and, and I'll be the first to admit, I thought their defense was good enough when they, you know, Brody was was fine and, and I thought the addition of McCabe was nice and Luke Shen was good. And then, you know, throwing in Lilia Grin instead of Hall was probably for the best. But anyway, it happened. But I looked at the defense and I went, okay, they're going to be able to score enough. Their goaltending has been good enough. Their defense is fine. And it and it helped that theory when Morgan Riley was playing out of his mind. But what ended up happening was the complete opposite. We saw the struggles from TJ Brody. We saw the struggles from Jake McCabe. We saw the struggles from Mark Giordano. We certainly saw the struggles from Justin Hall. So it ended up being that it wasn't good enough. What needs to happen is they need to bring somebody in that can take some of that pressure off of Morgan Riley because if Morgan Riley can play anything near what he did in the playoffs, that's a really good number two defenseman. I still don't put him in the category of number one, but that's a really good number two. If you can bring in somebody who is also a number two, That's where you have to go, and and there's been talk that Noah Hannifin does not want to play in Canada. Shocking. Nobody wants to play in Canada, but I think I think defense is where they are looking. I do think that an Austin Matthews extension is going to get done. I don't think it's for any longer than three years. I've been saying that since August of last year. Um, I don't believe. I, I do believe that there is a serious thought about trading William Nylander. Because if he's looking for double digits here, guys, like I love William Nylander, I am I am president of the William Nylander fan club. But if he makes anywhere north of eight and a half million, that is not a number that you can that you can handle if you're the Toronto Maple Leafs, and then you're gonna have to move somebody else. So I, I think that William Nylander is, I want to say, somewhat on the table, even though they probably don't. They're not going out of their way to offer him up to anybody, and I do think that that addressing you know the middle six is going to be a a big thing on Brad Trilliving's list. And maybe, maybe if we look back to Calgary, that guy is Tyler Toffoli. So I think they're busy. They have a lot of forward spots because they I think they've got seven UFA forwards. And I do think that they're going to try and ship out a defenseman or two and kind of rejig that defensive unit because it just wasn't good enough in the playoffs. Um, I think Samsonov's back. And I think that Joseph Wall is back. Well, he's definitely back. And they're both the guys that, that... take the majority of the work next season. I know that was a long answer, but that's where my head's at.
2: Yeah, I mean, I got to say, I hope it's a little bit more inspired than just, hey, who can I grab from Calgary? Uh, I I really hope there's more of a plan uh, than just that. But, you know, it's it's sort of the easy stuff early on. Like, maybe that's his first step, but there's a lot more that he has to do. Uh, I'm glad you arrived at William Nylander. I want to rehash a conversation we had with Frank Saravelli yesterday. He had a little tidbit for us on Nylander, and then I'm going to ask you a question on the other side of it. We can cue that up now.
1: I think he's been pretty aggressively pursuing a new deal for William Nylander in the last number of days. I'd hesitate to even speculate in terms of progress or what that might look like, but I do think the full court press has been on to try and get an answer, and I do think there's a world out there that exists over these next 10 days or two weeks or whatever it might be that... If the Leafs can't get something done with William Nylander or feel like he's well out of the the park of what they're willing to pay, that Brad free living won't hesitate to move
2: him. So, Maddie, that sounds like an ultimatum, right? It's like, hey, we want you around, but we only want you around at this number. If not, you're going to be what we use to try to optimize this roster, at least spread the talent out just a little bit. Um, do you agree? I guess we'll go with that. With that strategy, like if Trilliving takes that route with
1: Nylander, do you think that is a wise one? I do, because I'm always of the opinion that if you, you, it's hard, it's really hard to lose really good players for free because those guys could end up changing the future of your organization if you move them. Now, William Nylander has one year left on his deal. I would assume that wherever he's getting traded to, There has to be an extension in place because that's what's going to end up being what gets you the most value in in any sort of a trade. Do I love the idea of trading a player that I believe is top 15 in terms of talent and they could be top 15 on any given night? Yes, I I have a hard time with that, but Bradshaw Living's been through this before. With Johnny Gaudreau, and then everything kind of changed. And now, look at what what's happened to the Calgary Flames because they lost a the star for nothing. And did they go out and sign Nazem Kadri? Sure. Do they have Jonathan Huberdo and Mackenzie Weger? Absolutely. But with William Nylander. It, there's also a number here. He's not the best player on the team. He's not going to make more than Austin Matthews. He's not going to make more than Mitch Marner. So if he's not comfortable with that, then you have no choice. Because if you've if you've said this, if we are willing to go no, no higher than $9 million a season and William Nylander is saying, well, I want 10, I'm sorry, there's no negotiation there. This is what we can offer you. This is what we are comfortable offering you. And if you don't want that, then we are going to look to move you like I, I'm i fine with that ultimatum because and not that Toronto is going to have a hard time finding free agents or or getting guys to stay like Calgary clearly has. But I think that if you can trade a guy like William Nealer and like you said, Justin, balance out the roster a little bit, if you can bring in a defenseman and a forward, then absolutely go out and do it. I mean, not just anybody, but I I think that's the package that you're looking for. Kind of spread things out a little bit. And then you can work other trades because I don't think that the Leafs are going to be super busy in the free agent market. It's just not a good group unless they're going out and throwing money at Tyler Bertuzzi. And then the question is, well, how much do you want to give him? So there, there there are a lot of guys out there that are available. It's what you're willing to pay. William Nylander, maybe if he was a free agent, he's the best free agent that's out there. So you've got an opportunity to either extend him or move him for a bounty. I th- I have a feeling they're going to end up moving him for a bounty.
2: A uh, hell of a week to be filling in for Jeff Merrick on the Jeff Merrick Show. we will be listening all week long. Uh, thanks for coming on with us this morning. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Anytime. That's Maddie Marchese of the Jeff Merrick Show. Let's get to something to chew on brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Okay, so a little uh, a late Raptors chew surfaces on our radar here. Per Mark Stein, and this is on his Substack, stack, uh, the Raptors are expected <sighs> to re-sign Pertl to a deal worth around $20 million per season when free agency opens, also reporting that Fred Van Vliet is atop the Rockets wish list and that the Raptors extend or understand rather that it'll take at least 30 million dollars a year to retain him that sounds like luxury tax but yeah the big news there that the Raptors are expected to get a deal done with Yaka Pertle. and that I guess, it saves them from a PR nightmare, nightmare excuse me not sure that this is the investment you want to be doing if you have to tear down just a little bit in the absence of Fred VanVleet but uh yeah at least optically uh there's A hurdle cleared. I argue it's a stay of
0: execution of a PR exercise there. Uh, We will be very mad about this in November when the team is in the mushy middle. But yes, if they get it done right now, uh, it makes it look less bad uh, than just letting them walk for free, which would look bad. But I think this deal's going to, too. So
2: Congrats. Good piece of business, Bobby. <laughs> and again, not just not done just yet. Oh, you're putting Bob- Is that like a thing where you do the negative with Bobby? Bob? No. There are people that no, do that. No, I, like,
0: I would actually like to give the general manager of the team credit for making a move once in a while. I just like to sprinkle it in there. Make sure people know he exists.
2: Well, we love Bobby Webster on this show. He's hey. nice, nice enough to come on a couple times a year. But frankly, yeah, Masai's making these deals. Masai's making these decisions. Bobby's also obviously a part of it. But... Again, until we see the full picture with this Raptors team, there is reason to be concerned with the direction and what they are actually doing. The process is a little bit concerning, but we'll see how all the chips fall once they do indeed uh, hit the floor. Uh, We got to get to break because we got Atiba Hutchinson, former captain of the Canadian men's national team, after the break and timely too because there's some... uh, There's some reporting out there about Canada soccer and whether bankruptcy is the next move for an organization that needs to get its act together. Atiba Hutchinson, a Canadian legend, after the break. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkers podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Earlier this month, Atiba Hutchinson announced his retirement from professional soccer ahead of Canada's appearance at the CONCACAF Nations League finals, which meant one of the reasons why we're seeing Canada on the international stage, one of the one of the athletes who spearheaded all that was hanging up the cleats for good. Uh we have that Canadian legend on the line right now, Atiba Hutchinson, former Canadian captain, captain of the men's national team. And the record holder for most caps in program history. Uh, I would say good morning, Atiba, but I believe it's good afternoon
3: for you. Yes, it is. It is. I'm in Istanbul right now, so yeah, it's afternoon. How uh, you doing?
2: Uh, we are doing well. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, so I mentioned the retirement. It's been uh, the better part of 20 years. When you look at it now, when you kind of exhale with the career behind you, does it feel complete?
3: uh yeah it does it does for sure i've had a you know a great career twenty years going at it and um uh, I played with some you know very good clubs and just the whole journey for me was uh it was a great journey you know I enjoyed every moment of it and obviously you know representing Canada has always been special for me and then to get that chance at uh playing at a world cup right at the end of it it was uh it was my dream coming true so uh yeah. Great career for me, and I'm happy I I left it all on the pitch every time I played, and just a, a great ride for me.
0: Yeah, I, I'm sure people would, would absolutely agree with that, uh, to say that you, you left it all out there. You know, I do want to talk uh, about some of the stuff at the Nations League uh, there, there at the end, but, you know, I just want to talk what it was like for you. You know, we've heard from Davies and David and Estacchio, you know, guys who are part of this younger generation that are spearheading things, what it's meant for them to go through the qualification process and to make it to a World Cup. What does it mean for somebody's like, somebody like you who has seen, you know, the entirety of it over, over the length? of your career. What was it like for you to kind of and again I understand there is some turmoil in the organization now, but what was it like for you to kind of watch it grow to that crescendo moment of, of a World Cup?
3: Um, yeah, I mean I I went through a lot of uh a lot of, you know, bad moments with the team, you know, where we felt like we had a good enough team and we just weren't, you know, strong enough to get over the hump. Uh and just to see the way things had, you know, developed uh, with these young guys coming through uh, in my last cycle, um, especially at a moment where I felt like I was probably done with the national team. And I probably said it to you guys before, but I got a call from John and he kept me involved. And I just kept going, you know, one game at a time. And it ended up being another four years and a whole full cycle of it. And just to see where the teams had come uh, for me, it was just a huge um, you know a, a big accomplishment a, a huge achievement for all of us um you know there was a lot of players i played with before who had uh together with me you know kind of set the the foundation but we were just unfortunate not to get to a world cup and for it to happen uh you know with me being one of the last ones and uh being that piece that kind of just gelled everything together uh it was a huge huge relief you know i always dreamt of, of playing in the World Cup and I think I would have really missed out on not playing a World Cup if I had retired without doing So, Atiba, we know the
2: destination, right? You're on the pitch in Qatar. You're playing against with and against some of the best players in the world. But I wonder, you know, when you reflect on where you came from and, and, you know, the first steps with the national uh, team and how far this program has come, do you remember, like, your first introduction to the men's national team, what the situation was, what the surroundings were, what the level of talent was? And when you reflect on 20 years, like, how far you've actually come and how this how far this program's come
3: yeah i mean we've we've come a very very long way um yeah going into the team we had we had good players around but uh yeah we didn't have enough players playing at you know high levels throughout europe uh you know if you look at the team now the players that have been winning championships with good clubs in europe you know uh one player just you know recently won a champions league and you know, continue to win the league over and over. Um other players just in, in bigger clubs in Europe as well just have that experience of uh, and know um, know how to, to win a championship, you know. Um whereas when we when I first came into the team you had a few players that were playing in Europe, nobody that was really, you know, competing to to win championships. Uh we had Starley, Paul Salty that won a, a championship with Brother Bremen, but uh, just a, a big difference in where the team is now and uh, the, the, the magnitude of, of clubs that, you know, players are playing at. So uh, that helps, you know, you need to have players in your squad that uh, know what it takes to win, you know, important games, to win championships, and all of that kind of just came together. So uh, over the 20 years, we've just seen how the program has done better and better. And as uh, like I said, the last four years, this year, it's just been a, a great, like, uh, missing piece that we, we didn't have before where everybody just came together well and uh, kind of just took off from there.
0: Yeah, that's something everybody can relate to, right? I mean, we, we can't all relate to the highs of, you know, being the captain of your national team and eventually one day playing in a World Cup. But we all, you know, have a job and we're working and maybe there's that one thing you need or you're putting together a family and you're looking for that person. Like, we all can kind of relate to having that one missing piece. It's so nice that, that you say, as you say, you are able to get it there. Uh, Fan Morning Show, Brent Gunning, Justin Cuthbert, very, very happy to be talking with former national team captain Atiba Hutchison right now. Looking forward at the future of the program, I mean, obviously, you can look back fondly, uh, and let's be honest, unfondly at times. As you said, it wasn't always the the smoothest of rides. How do you feel about the future of Canada soccer as a whole? And, you know, I I understand most of that, with your opinion, is going to go to the players and, you know, the, the young guys that you did get a chance to play with. But what is your belief of the continued ability of Canada soccer to have success? And I think a lot of people are wondering that because, you know, I think a lot of people were sucked in during the World Cup run, and now they're seeing all these stories of financial problems and there just seems to be a lot of kind of trouble swirling. Uh, what's your opinion on the kind of current state of the national program
3: and, and where it'll be going forward? Uh, well, I think uh, I think the sky's the limit for the team. I think uh, as I said, there's just so much talent and we have a lot of depth now. Uh, you know, if, if there's a few players missing now, you, you, you can easily replace players now where we didn't have that uh, we didn't have that option before, so to see where we've come now, it's it's great, and I think we're going to continue to get big, better and better, and you know, big things will will continue to happen for the team. Uh, in terms of the other stuff, uh, yeah, I think we're we, we've got a lot of work to, to do. Um, I think you know the players and um, you know the board need to come together, and uh, things need to get things need to get solved. You know, um, you know we do our our part on the pitch and. We do as much as we can and, and try to focus on what's going on, you know, on the pitch. That's all we can really do. But um yeah, I think things need to just to get like settled and, and things are, just get moving in the right direction. Uh hopefully that will happen because I think there's just so much potential for uh, you know, for the program. Uh, not just at the you know, the men's and women's level but uh from the grasses, so Uh, hopefully those things will fall into place and things will start looking uh, on the bright side. What needs
2: to happen before 2026, Atiba? I mean, from our, our standpoint, it looks like an institution that's failing its athletes to a certain extent. What do you guys need to see happen in order for the Davies and the David and the Istakios to have their best chance to put their best foot forward in 2026 on home soil?
3: Uh, the players need to just be focused on on the football. The business side needs to, to get taken care of. Um, I think it's been spoken about, you know, quite a bit. Um, you know, there's there's deals that have been made, and I think these are the things that need to get, you know, solved where these guys can come together and uh, figure out a way to move forward. Uh, move forward, which which is best for for everybody that's involved. Uh, without don't say too much. I think that the way it needs to go because nobody's, nobody's winning this way. Win. Uh, so it's kind of crippling everybody.
0: Uh, feel free to correct the record on this. I think when a lot of people look at the, again, the, the noise swirling around Canada soccer, one moment they point to is you not getting on the pitch in the Nations League, you know. You are at the at the last two games there, you know. You obviously had intimated this was going to be, uh, you know, your send off tournament, and it's not just about you. Of course, I hear the way you talk about this team, and of course you care about it. But let's be honest; uh, they could have found a way to get you on the pitch there. You talk about Herdman and the the respect you have from there, so I I don't think that this is coming from some place of bad blood or anything like that. But I think a lot of people were pretty surprised to to see you not not get in at the, at the end there. Uh, do you have any ill feelings about that or do you want to maybe calm the rumors because I think a lot of people think you're you're pretty upset about that or at least that they would be if they were in your shoes
3: uh no to be honest uh you know I had spoken with with John about it and uh you know we were both more more uh focused on us just you know getting a trophy where I was there to be part of the team to be a leader as I as I always have been I was in a situation where, of course, it would have been nice to play, but I was in a situation where I hadn't been playing many games. I wasn't fit um, as you know I w- had been in the past. So uh, I was going to be using that game to to close out the game if needed. Uh, we were still trying to get back into the game until you know the very end. We still had a chance, to, you know, to maybe get a, that one goal to. You know, get us closer to, to equalizing, and it didn't happen in the end. Um, so I had I had no hard feelings with it at all. Um, you know, I was you know, very open with John about what uh, my role would be. Um, so of course, for I me, mean, you know, to play that game against Panama and get that that last you know ten fifteen minutes of playing, I was fine with that. Um, so I had no no hard feelings towards John. I mean, John has been uh, amazing to me, and as I said it over and over. Mm-hmm. You know, the one that uh, that have kept me involved in, in this program and, and, you know, giving me a big chance at playing at a World Cup. So, uh, yeah, definitely that's how I, I went to
2: everybody. Well, that's great to hear, Atiba. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, he helped keep you involved in this program and you're on the team and you're, you had a role in that final if you got to that point where you're protecting a lead. I wonder, though, about continued involvement. Uh, do you want to be a part of Canada soccer moving forward? Do you want to be a part of the solution here as they work toward, uh, you know, putting themselves in the best position to grow as, as exponentially as they have? Uh, do you want to continue working with Canada soccer in some capacity?
3: Uh well this next little while is where I'm gonna be thinking about things and, and where exactly, you know, my next chapter will be. Uh obviously Canada has given so much to me and I would love to give back uh in any way as I could, you know, as an a player, but maybe somewhere um at a coaching level. Uh but yeah, I need to put some thought into exactly what it's gonna be. Um you know, I'll have some, some talks. Over the next little while, with John and you know the coaching staff, and uh, just other options around um, Europe as well, uh, and then just kind of think of the best game plan and what my next step will be. But uh, of course, you know I, I love Canada, and if I could help out in any way, uh, you know down the future, that would be uh, that would be great for me as well.
0: I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are are happy to to hear that, and again, you know, uh, you'll decide what's best for for your future. But you know, a lot of times with programs uh, when they begin to reach new heights, and obviously getting back to the World Cup was one. But I think you know, we all hope that it is the stepping stone to more. Uh, you don't want to lose touch with with guys like you who helped kind of build the program up. So I think that be that's great to hear that you're uh, considering that, and obviously, uh, you know, you'll take care of your life, and we'll see where your where your footballing uh, journey carries you now that you have uh, hung up the boots. Uh, Last one for me before I let you go. You know, I know we talked about the World Cup and that in the pinnacle. If I'm going to ask you to just pick a single moment of your career, and we'll keep it to uh, international stuff because I'm sure there's stuff that sticks out uh, from your club career as well, but if I ask you to just pinpoint one single moment that stands out for you as the best moment of your international career with Canada, was it the first moment you actually stepped on the pitch at the World Cup? Was it when you had finally clinched going to a World Cup and you knew that it was going to be? Was it some other moment, maybe the first goal, what stands out? I, I don't know. What was it for you as as far as your kind of, if it's just one single moment from your Canadian uh, football football life, what sticks out to you the most?
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a hard one. Um, but I think I think the moment that stands out is when we were walking out onto that, onto that pitch. Just uh, because it's something that all of us have dreamt of since we were kids. You know? And just to know that it's the first time in 36, 36 years and just uh, the build-up towards it walking onto the pitch next to those guys, like world class players and knowing that the whole world is is watching you. uh, That was a special feeling, man. And, um, I mean, to be a captain and leading on your country onto the, to the pitch for a world cup, it's, yeah, it's special.
2: Uh, undoubtedly has to be a special feeling. And a lot of the guys who are out there on the pitch with you will have that feeling again in 2026. But I wonder Give us a name of someone who's going to be the next Alfonso Davies or the next Jonathan David. someone who's on the come up, someone you have experience with, someone who's not necessarily on the radar of everyone right now who was dialed into the World Cup in November, but is going to be a huge, huge factor for Canada when the World Cup is played on home soil.
3: Well, we've got a number of players. Um the, the guys that you're mentioning are all still very young. So, um,
0: you don't want to upset anybody. Uh, eh, TV? You don't want to single out one guy yeah. for us.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it'd be hard. I think Tejon, uh, I mean, everybody is, yeah. seeing what he's capable of, but I think he's just, he's got the right mentality. His uh, work ethic. He's, he's just uh, very good going both ways. Uh, you know, he likes to put in the work. Um, I think he'll end up playing with, you know, a big club and, I'll probably be there for for many years to come, and we'll see him on the uh, on the biggest stages. Uh, and he's not too old, so I'll probably say Tej.
2: Well, it's an exciting time for Canadian soccer with Tejan Buchanan, Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David all playing in big clubs in Europe, going to different clubs, transfers. It's like it's something that I frankly never thought I'd see as a Canadian who really really like soccer and we have you mm-hmm. to thank for a lot of that uh atiba because you blazed the trail for a lot of these guys and the opportunities they are getting and they're going to enjoy in the future are a lot to do uh with what every, what you, with what you were able to do excuse me uh with the national team so we thank you for that we thank you for coming on this morning enjoy the afternoon uh and uh hopefully we can yeah. chat again soon
3: all right thank you very much really appreciate it
2: that's atiba hutchinson former team canadian team canada captain and holds the record for the most caps in program history. I'm not sure if that'll be threatened soon, but I imagine it won't be. No, I don't think so. I mean, I'm sure it will be threatened by somebody on this
0: roster. You hope that all these guys have super long careers playing in a ton of international tournaments for
2: I will it. say, though, they got to spend money to play in these international yes, games you know. to get these caps oh, for I know. anyone.
0: I know. It is uh, it is a messy, messy situation there. Uh, Tejon Buchanan, also the guy Alex Cicero told Mm. me to keep an eye on. So Alex, just as... just as smart not as capable I don't know what he's got going on with the feet there uh, but just as smart uh, when it comes to it also I clearly had NFL on the brain because I kept saying a football life to atiba Hutchinson <laughs> and the only regret I have from that interview no regrets I I did at we asked the tough questions the pointed ones the only thing that would have oh, well it wouldn't have made it better it just would have made me feel better is if we would have got Danielle to uh, to email him our our seven minutes on Bob Bradley earlier in the show so we could have got a definitive <laughs> answer one yeah. way or another there
2: and because we did seven minutes on Bob Bradley. We actually didn't talk about yesterday's report uh, from Rick Westhead, <laughs> uh, which is an important one, because uh, Canada soccer... Quite honestly, more important than Bob Bradley, if we're, it, if we're it, keeping it, him 100. No, it really is. I mean, that's why I started with Bob, because I was like, oh, we'll be done with this in 30 seconds. Uh, we were not. Then you had your imp- impassioned <laughs> defense of him. No, you were... I, I, yeah, I was. I was yeah. pretty... Okay. I, I, I defended Bob Bradley. Him, no, if you, you want we, to, we, we can have do it again. again no, we right have now. to get to Canada soccer. Because... Reportedly, currently facing significant financial challenges, we do knew. Do, oh, we did know that. Excuse me, uh, that could force the federation to file for bankruptcy Yikes. protection. Uh, Canada Soccer's interim general secretary Jason Devos was very transparent about the organization's current financial state, saying, "We are in real struggle. It's not imminent, but we need to explore what bankruptcy entails and how it might affect." our organization. We don't have enough revenue coming in for the programs that we need to run. And that includes everything from grassroots coach education and referee development to youth national teams and our senior men's and women's teams. So Canada soccer reportedly discussing what bankruptcy can do from them or for them. Obviously it goes without saying, this is a horrible look. This Mm -hmm. is really, really bad. Uh, And not to say that we were like ahead of this, but we've been talking about since the world cup, we've been talking about, are concerned about Canada soccer and if the institution will hold the athletes back. It very much seems... Because both the men's and women's teams can't afford to play international caps to prepare themselves for major tournaments that the institution is, because of its dealings, previous dealings, and not being ready for the boom that we've seen over the last couple years, that it will hold its athletes back. And frankly, like filing for bankruptcy may be a step in the right direction, at least in terms of finding solutions but it needs an influx of money. It needs something to change and you can't just rely on the athletes being like, Hey, we're going to be at our individual best and that will be enough. Something has to change here with Canada soccer. And it's probably got to be on just like the simple court filing. of, Hey, we don't have any more money. Yeah. It's, it's a very
0: weird problem to find yourself in because for the better part of, you know, this has cooled down a little bit, especially given the way the world cup did play out. Although I think everybody would have expected them to, get bounced in the group stage, although it just didn't quite go. It didn't have the feel we were hoping for. The entire corporate community of Canada was on board with Canada soccer. It was, without a shadow of a doubt, the brightest sexiest thing to spend your money on and that includes especially given everything that's been happening for the past, well I mean it's been happening forever but it's come to light in the past handful of years with Hockey Canada. Typically tons of ad revenue pouring in their sponsorship dollars, SO all those companies are always hammering money into Hockey Canada. A lot of that is dried up so how you were unable to just simply transport and I understand it's not an apples to apples comparison but that was the hot sexy property everybody was in on a world cup run there was no way that you should have botched that financially and for you to have done that it is mind-boggling so i am i'm with everybody dumping the blame on canada soccer here this is a true we hear this term all the time in sports this is a golden generation now you hope it can be the goose that lays a thousand golden eggs and there's more waves that come after this Far, far, far from a guarantee. You have got to get your house in order. You're hosting a World Cup with world-class players on your roster. And even I'm upset about this. That should kind of tell you your barometer for things. Ridiculous, the state that Canada soccer finds himself in.
2: Yeah, there are many, many reasons why uh, they've reached this point. But if you're going to single and circle one thing, it would be the uh, negotiations and the agreement struck with Canadian soccer business, the CSB, which basically holds their media and sponsorship agreements, and they basically generate no money. Uh, And this was, as you mentioned, it was the thing to pour money into. It was the thing that was most prevalent on television in the fall. It was the thing that all sponsors wanted to be involved in, but they can't be involved unless it's a World Cup, unfortunately, so people can't watch the games. People can't advertise the games because people aren't watching the games. There needs to be a solution there, and there apparently uh, there is an openness to to renegotiate this deal but again it's it's they're kind of stuck in the situation they are because they signed a bad deal yep. with someone who cannot house the juggernaut yep. that is soccer in canada in this very moment it's fine when it's the world cup it's fine when it's the olympics because it is accessible yep. it is not accessible as it stands now with just friendlies and qualification and CONCACAF and all that stuff. And until that changes, and I don't know if it can change because they locked themselves into such a long agreement, decades worth Mm -hmm. of years uh, of a partnership. I I don't know what they're going to do, but right now someone owns Canada soccer Mm -hmm. outside the major tournaments. And until they relent, until they share, until they are open to do something, I'm not really sure how they're going to free themselves of the shackles that they did uh, frankly, put on themselves. Well, the other problem is, you know, to bring it
0: back to MLS, how do you keep soccer fans engaged? And I understand a lot of the Canadian, the whole point of the this Canadian golden generation is that a lot of them aren't playing in MLS. They're playing overseas. But even to watch your local team, you need, I believe it's Apple TV is the subscription. This is part of the problem with soccer is that you need 10,000 subscriptions depending on which league you want to watch or which version of Friendlies or the Gold Cup or the Nations League or whatever it is. So bad deal there, but there are bad deals everywhere regarding broadcasting for that. And that is why it's kind of proven to be a problem to sustain this momentum. All bad business stories. And then it's a, a, you know, a lot of people they can find on their smart TV, but for a lot of people, it is still a hurdle. So I think that's the problem in, in and of itself as well.
2: It's a good possibility that there will be no international ramp up for the women who are going to play in a World Cup. And the men who are one of the fastest rising programs globally.
0: Just what you want.
2: The women just won an Olympic gold. Nuts. The men just made their return to the World Cup and they are not getting the support that they need Uh, and something needs to change. Hopefully bankruptcy uh, is the first step towards some sort of solution. Uh, We will continue the hockey discussion on the other side. We have EJ Raddick, senior reporter at the NHL Network to tee up. Uh, the NHL draft, which is tomorrow night, and to talk a little bit about the NHL awards, which were last night. EJ Raddick next on the Fan Morning Show.